Anybody need a few moments to write down your thoughts? So now we're just going to chat. And um, like I said, this is just going to be an open group discussion. So I'm just going to sit here with everybody. I kind of like for us to get a circle, but that might be too cumbersome for right now, so this is fine. But um, we're going to kind of recap all the videos. And of course, the past few weeks, or the past few weeks, um, have been really uh, trying for racial relations in America. Most notably, of course, the jury passed down not guilty verdict for the officer who shot and killed uh, Philando Castile last year around this time in um, Minneapolis or around around there. So now, even though the officer was acquitted, the city settled with the family for three million dollar wrongful death lawsuit. So if anybody can make that make sense to me. Um, please do tonight, but those are the kind of things that we need to talk about because um, just with situations like that and with everything that we see in these videos, white supremacy continues to win every time it feels like. So, starting with the um, black woman video, what were just some of your first thoughts about it? Internal and external issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's something I had not thought about before. Mm -hmm. That I don't know what it means. I don't know what I'm to say. Probably somebody will jump in and <laughs> <laughs> straighten me out here. But I, I never thought about internal racial issues, mm -hmm. only the external and I think that a lot of the internal has to do with the external for instance uh, colorism and that is that's something that a lot of the other races also have to deal with but the idea that if you're lighter you're prettier or you're uh, more likely to get a job or you know you're probably perceived as more well behaved or whatever the, the positives are I found that very interesting mm -hmm. in the Latino area. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that, yes. that middle section. Because they're all shades, just like Asians, too. But just kind of what I would take as far as the internal is uh, kind of dealing with that or dealing with what people tell you on the outside and letting it kind of overtake maybe your um, self esteem or what you think you're capable of, or as far as like the woman was talking about. Um, her father had to draw in brown crayon, draw the characters in the books with the brown crayon. So seeing those kind of images and then maybe thinking to yourself, I'm not going to have to be a princess because I don't have long blonde hair and, you know, a small nose. So I think we internalize what we get from the outside. Well, that, that's how I would interpret it. But then maybe some other black women have anything to add to that? Well, it's the media. Yes, that does not promote the use of black color mm -hmm. in fashion or news. And that's, I think, the validation, outside validation of self. Mm -hmm. And I, somewhere I just saw a little girl who said, I never knew that I could be a ballerina. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know, it was a little black ballerina mm -hmm. girl. And there was another woman who had been one for 50 years. 
and she said seen her and that gave her the validation. Yes. Or even like the woman in the video who was talking about her experience as a young ballerina and something as simple as them not even checking to see if they could do her the same way that they did all the other girls. So she automatically stands out. And at that early of an age, I think that a lot of that goes inside and it kind of dominates what you think about yourself. But any of us of any color would happen to that age. Very important. It's everything. It's a little bit more uh, powerful though when it's something that you can't change. You can't change the texture of her hair or the color of her skin. So it's like, uh, like one of the uh, Latino guys mentioned that you feel like you kind of have to let go of your culture or everything that makes you, you know, different, so that it doesn't get in the way of you getting a job or getting an apartment. And that's really painful to have to imagine that people feel like their culture is in their way so they try to be white or try to you know just get further away from it and i think that's that's where she's coming from when she's talking about internal first you could have also been talking about kind of intra racial problems because those exist as well that's okay now that's what i took from, mm -hmm. from so, what she did so well, I'll say the inter, intra would be a better way of phrasing it. Uh, I think she just used it loosely. Uh, but there's a lot that goes on in, in the black culture that's perpetuated by the external or the mainstream culture. And what you see uh, inside families, inside groups, you have socialite black groups, you have those with means, and you have those without means, you know, the ones who were educated you have, and, and, and made it out of, the, out of the hood, and you have those who are still in the hood, and you have, and I'm sure that that, that range, that's, you have economic factors in every race group, but I think for the, for the black communities, the need to pull together is really, really difficult when you're at odds with one another. So it's hard to, to gel together when you're, you know, we've already been divided. You have, you have your doctors and lawyers and that group there, but we need you. We need you to reach back to the, to the community and the people who don't have a voice and, and, and band together. And so internally within that, that group, it's still a full range and it's hard to bring people together because even back in the day, they, they, they had the paper bag test. If you were darker than the shade of the paper bag, you were considered an outcast within that community. You weren't considered good enough. And even though you were intelligent, even though you were capable of many things, you weren't taught that you were. So that impacted your outcome in life. Unless someone, you know, unless God used some, intervened and used someone to encourage you, you really wouldn't know because that's the way that community was shaped. That's before you even go to your job and deal with your white bosses. That's before you go to an integrated school. That's before you go to college and you know and you're sitting in the classroom with other you know, other races. You have to deal with that stuff at home first. So that's the way I perceive. That was a lot, but. Okay. <laughs> I came here to listen. <laughs> 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 well, first of all, anybody have anything to add to that? Yeah. 
and maybe as as white people, we have modeled that for you, you know, to divide and conquer. You know, if we keep you all divided, then that allows us to continue to be the, the supreme race. That's actually um, a real thing, um, and, and it roots back to slavery. You know, they, they pit the slaves against yes. one another based on shade. And it was different it was outdoors. Yeah. 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 You, could yeah. exactly. you could work in the household if you were lighter. lighter and mm -hmm. Exactly. So it started, it started then. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Next, uh, <laughs> something that kind of made uh, the state of slavery, mm -hmm. I guess, as bad as it was. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Willie Lynch letter. It's, you know, it's not a real person, or uh, Willie Lynch is not a real person, but just the psychological uh, kind of advice that that letter gave to slave masters about how to take over the mind, mm -hmm. and that's how you take over the body, and that's how you keep people in an enslaved state of mind. So for generations to come. Far, exactly. Far beyond, you know, just the hard labor. It's definitely about an attack on the mind, the division. And I think Martise, you're absolutely right that it's just, that's why it takes so much for us to kind of unify on a lot of things. Because for centuries, upon centuries, we have been divided on absolutely. Was anybody surprised by anything as far as uh, either the black woman's video, the growing up black, or the conversation with my black son video? One thing that I thought was really important, and it comes back to what this lady just said, was the importance of, of teaching self-esteem early on in the home and in the community, because all of those talk about their parents making them feel beautiful or strong or equal or whatever. So that's one of the ways to combat it. That doesn't. That's not within the white community, but in in any community. White people have that problem too. Is to feel that you are at least as good as you. You're not better than anybody, but you are as good as. And that was a lot of my experience growing up. I don't necessarily remember a lot of kind of explicit conversations about you're black and this is how you're going to go through the world. But my father, especially, and my mother, and a lot of my family were just very, you know, everything black is celebrated, like. You know, it's the music, the food, the events around the city, everything black was just going on. Like, we had it going on. And so there was never any doubt in my mind that I had it going on, too, just because our culture was celebrated. But if you're in, you know, maybe in the area like a lot of places <laughs> where it's not celebrated, then that, I think, you know, it's more likely to have an effect on the young people that they don't see themselves, you know, in the community, or they don't see anything that they can relate to being presented as something that's valuable, or any of their customs and traditions being presented as something that's valuable. So, is anything else that surprised you all about any of those? The sweetness of the children worrying about their mamas and dads. Mm -hmm. yeah. yes. yeah. so, and why was that? It's not surprising. Oh, I just it was painful. It was painful to, to see what these kids are doing. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who have children, has anybody ever, you know, experienced or heard that kind of thing from their own children? 
that's oh god yeah we have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. it's not an easy like conversation <laughs> you know my son kind of laughs it off a little bit but oh, he knows oh. my son is 14 and he's actually here for the summer but he lives with his father and his stepmother in Rockford. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of diversity. So it's kind of like even culture shock when he comes to visit because he can't even, he feels like somehow he can't be himself mm -hmm. because when he, it's taken in a totally different he's, way that he's not he's used to. He's nervous all the time. Yeah, well that and well, you know, and he's already almost six foot tall, he's brown and you know, he's pretty carefree amongst his friends in Rockford mm -hmm. because it's the norm where he is, but here it's like, he'll do a certain thing and it's like, oh my God, what did you just do? Or what did you just say? Or, you know, like his, you know, what he, like what he got horseplay and playing around. It's like, they might call the police. And he's getting used to it. And I've had to tell him, we in Owensboro, you can't do that. Because it will be perceived like that. You want to walk, you can't always. And it's like, that's a very hard conversation to try to explain to your son. And then when you see videos of, you know, like these kids, they're talking about, you know, or the, and even the parents are like, I'm trying to tell my kids how to react, you know, whereas to be in a non-threatening position. But then you see videos showing the police still killing people that are acting in a very non-threatening way. They're going by all the rules. Yes. And, and how do I explain that to myself? Like, oh, you still might not be threatened. You might not even say anything back. You might say, yes, sir. No, and still move just a little bit the wrong way and be killed. That's a hard thing. And I think that that, um, just the fact that that still happens is intentionally to preserve uh, white supremacy. And as we saw with all the racial groups, that simply means to protect white people so that whiteness is the norm, it's you know the standard, um, and that it's at the expense of everybody else. Unfortunately, that's the <laughs> You got all that from me? <laughs> yes, because like the little guy mentioned in one of the videos, he was talking about how if there's you know a suspect of color, their criminal record, even though they're the victim in this situation, their criminal record is the first thing that we see. I'm gonna let you um, know. What, is, what is our role to make that? change the media the news media in particular should not do that and as you know a journalist i'm embarrassed by that that some of my you know contemporaries still operate in that way but again it's because it's been for so long it's ingrained y'all it's not it's not going anywhere quickly we can i think we can uh, all agree on that because it's been around so long um but but i will say i mean it's on the local news that we watch mm -hmm. Whenever anyone is arrested for something or is in a significant amount of trouble, it really black, white, green, purple, they're going to come up with that criminal record right off the bat. See, I don't agree with that. I, I, and I'm sorry, I can't because I guess because, like just today, I saw a link, okay, about the, and I'm pretty sure you might have seen it about the man that was assaulted that he died, you know, and the one where it's the two, they look white. I have not once heard mention of anything of their background. The only thing I've seen is their name. I'm sorry, if that was somebody else and a person of color, that would not be the way that that story was reported. I know, and it's like, because you probably don't even think about it, but it's like when you've lived it, it's like, 
Yeah. You just see it. It's just like it's it's right there. Yeah, it's like there was the instance with the was he a swimmer? Mm -hmm. The rapist. Yeah, who who raped some like raped a, a girl at uh, a party. Yeah, she yeah. was unconscious yeah. or something. And um, they were talking about his academics and how good of a yeah, student like, he was. And the judge. <laughs> Basically said, we you know we don't want to ruin his life. Right. Yeah. We don't want to ruin his life because his life has value. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Black men are victims. Yeah. And he was off this criminal perception of how horrible of a person he was. Yeah. And it's and I work in rape crisis, and so that's exactly what I was going to go with is, you know, we we have this demonization of people of color whenever something gets committed and it's like i'm going to bring out your laundry list of everything you've done since you were five years old like it exactly i mean and so and i don't have children and i won't have children so i don't have to have that kind of conversation but i cannot imagine being a parent and sitting down with your child and saying this is what you need to do so you don't die but then tomorrow it changes because this is what you got to do today but tomorrow is different. Like, how as parents, how do you all? I just couldn't imagine. It's, it's not. So it's weird. not easy, <laughs> and it takes. You really, truly have to have faith in something. If you don't believe in God, you better. You better find something to pray to some some entity, because it really is a power, and and that's that's our same. Actually, that's our state power, in my opinion, as a as a as a race. We're rooted in belief, and faith that it's going. We're going to overcome. We're going to get there. We're going to make it. It's going to get better, and we just kind of are that way. We just hold on. But as a mother of two boys, and my my oldest, he'll be seventeen in August, and he stands almost six five, and his dad was almost six six. His dad was a big man, uh, was an engineer, a bright man, and he taught him a lot about how to handle himself as a black man. And that teaching does start at home so that they will have an understanding that even if you are intelligent, his dad was an engineer, it did not stop him from being harassed by the police. He, he, he he drove good vehicles, he spent good money, he wore nice clothing, he he ate at the best restaurants. He he matter of fact he was a lot of white men's bosses. He you know, he had to figure out a way to integrate himself. And I remember when he graduated from college and got that first job, he told me it's not easy this job I do. Because I have white men who hate that I'm here. They don't want to take orders from me. They don't want to hear what I got to say. Even though I know what I'm doing, I'm a, I can build, I can help them get this project done. It's a lot of politics and it's stressful. It's very stressful. You know, make good money and it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you still have to remember who you are at the core of it. And I teach my son, to always present yourself well. First of all, English language is your only language. 
so you should speak it well. <laughs> yes, that's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> that's just me. Um, there's no excuse to not know the English language, in my opinion. And if you don't know it, you should continue to strive for it. Right. And you should be able to articulate and speak and stand on the square and, and state your purpose, your vision, who you are. You should be able to do that as a person, not just a man. But my son is in Chicago right now. We're not from here. And trust me, I'm praying. But he's with family, he's with friends. And what, they, what he needs to understand is that your character speaks first. How do you carry yourself? And I understand, I'm not, tell, I'm not teaching my son that, oh, you can't wear that because you look like, you can't wear a hoodie because a hoodie will make you look like, no, my son loves hoodies. We all love hoodies in my family because they're warm and cozy. <laughs> so I'm not gonna teach him not to wear a hoodie because he could be, and he and in Chicago, he grew up he, in, in the suburbs rather. He went to a predominantly white private school. So he has white friends with that are well off, and he goes out there and spends the weekend. He goes on trips with them, and but he also has friends in the, on the west side of Chicago, in the hood where where I grew up. So what I'm teaching him is how to transcend boundaries and represent yourself well, no matter where you are. And I think that's what these young men need to understand. You got to be able to understand culture on all levels and be able to go in and come out and not have to change yourself completely. Just it's okay to be a blend of different things. When you talk about your believing in, in God and praying, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is what our government said in West Louisville about the common problem. And I know how it made me feel. I was wondering how that made you feel. And you don't feel. Just pray. Well, he called it. He, he called press conference. Big meeting. He was going to solve crime in West Louisville. People walking around. And his and his solution was that you adopt a block, and you don't wear any shirts. You don't have a bullhorn. You don't sing. But you walk up and down that block in a and very crime-ridden part of West Louisville. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been there. It's pretty well, rough. I, I just and you just, you just are not West Louisville. West Louisville. What are we going to do to help these children with education? He said, stay on that block, walk up and down, quietly praying for a year. So a bunch of white people are going to be in these neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, I'm from Chicago, and I've seen all type of campaigns to pray on the block, um, block club parties, and um, communities. My grandmother was the president of her block club. I helped her with different her speech. I was her speech writer in high school. <laughs> and, and, uh, and what she did and what it takes is for you to be bold and, it, and you have to get out there because those guys were trying to take over the neighborhood. 
Uh, I didn't grow up in my grandparents' neighborhood. My mother moved to a, a more diverse area that was less crime-ridden. Crime but I was at grandma's house every weekend, you know, and I saw the transition from as a little girl to the high, you know, a, an adult and how the guys came in, the drug dealers, gangbangers, and how they thought they were tough. And a couple of them I knew from playing as kids. I knew them from the neighborhood. And I'm like, what's up? You know, but I didn't have a problem with them. But I, I, I know how to watch out for body language. So if you're not street smart, God gives you wisdom too. <laughs> I said, <laughs> guess I mean, what? Because you have to know where you are. You have to be conscious of sure. what's happening. You got to know what they're doing, how they're moving. You got to, you just got to know certain stuff about being in the city. I think you bring up a good point about um, how you mentioned that some of the more violent people now you grew up with. And I think to relate it to what Governor, Governor did, whatever, what he did was <laughs> not only just insulting because coming up to that just required no kind of thought at all. Right. Nothing against some people on the battlefield. But he totally, by that view of solution, he totally yeah. ignores the Exactly. Right. Right. So yes. he ignores the fact that yeah. as a state had a part in yes. segregating those neighborhoods that had been neighborhoods since the forties or whatever. It's an insult to the churches mm -hmm. and their are pregnant. You can't throw a rock about mm -hmm. any church in that mm -hmm. part. Yeah. And to me, and it's an insult to all those people that he also washes his hands of the responsibility. Of course he does. Yeah. By saying, oh, just go pray in these neighborhoods, he's like, well, that's God's doing now. Yeah. It's not so mine. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's just, to me, the most <coughs> uh, just bothered this. I don't know what the word is. It's like, when I see this video about these conversations that you have to have with your son, I cannot imagine that you don't pray a whole lot more than you do. Already. Exactly. Yeah. So to have this person come in and tell you to pray? Like, don't do that. It's great. Yeah, thank you. And I think that Governor also missed the opportunity to um, Maybe start programs for young people. So there's a whole slew of things that they could have done to, you know, actually have a solution that they chose not to do. Um, largely, probably because their constituents would be okay with that solution. If we're being honest, the people who voted for them would be fine with that. So those are the only people that they need to please. Um, so the voters do not represent the majority. No. And it's important that everybody understand. Yeah. Some, something that I would like to hear the people discuss is when we watch these films, these guys were from New York. And I, I wonder about the differences in different areas, the North versus the South, the urban versus the rural, and even internationally. Because I, I was born in Muhlenberg County and was raised in Hopkins County, but I left when I was barely 17, and I've lived all over the world. I, I worked at Charles Drew University where I started to know what it was like to be the only person of a certain color in a room. I lived in Northern Africa, in Algeria, where 
I had rocks thrown at me and spit at me because I was obviously different. Um, so I got that experience. My son and my granddaughters, we've lived all, literally all over the world. Um, I've, you know, lived in LA. They grew up uh, in, in Buffalo, New York, then Ithaca, then Denver. So it's always been, you know, different. And I, I, I've always told people from the North who kind of lord over, oh, we don't have any racism. You all are from down South. I said, look, you got it just as much as we do. Here, it's just more out in the open. And people are meaner. But up North, they got it too. And so you all don't act like you're holier than thou because you've got it up there. And in Canada, even, it is different. It really is different. It's not as much as it is here, but it still happens. But what I see the difference in Canada that I do here is it's not tolerated. You know, I mean, people will call you out on it and say no. And I think with the last election, even more, people are, are afraid to call people out when they say, you know, what you just said was racist or what you said was offensive. I think it's kind of turned the tide. People are more afraid to sometimes stand up and say, hey, that's offensive what you said because there's like a carte blanche. But I, I just think that there are, racism exists. I think as white people, we have to acknowledge there is systemic racism. It just is. You can try to say, well, I'm not like that. You know, just because you're not running around a hood doesn't mean you're not racist, I think they said. So we have to, I think the first thing, we have to acknowledge it exists. There are differences and that's just the way it is. You can't say it's not me. You can't say I wish it was better. You wish it was better than do something. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one. But then also there are differences in different areas. And that to me is very heartbreaking. When I brought my granddaughters here for the first time, I was scared for them. I didn't realize it, but when they're, I was scared for them. I started noticing, I was watching out. How are these people looking? How were they talking to them? Because sometimes they weren't nice. Mm -hmm. Are they biracial or? Yeah, we're a rainbow in our house. <laughs> I think I said before when my, my son's father was uh, Algerian, my daughter-in-law's Jamaican, and when we go out, people really look at us. And one of my granddaughters asked me or my father or my son, Baba, why do people look at us so much when we go out? He says, because we're just interested in a bunch of people to look at. And I said, who is this? Yeah, it's like who belongs with you? Yeah. You know, people oh, ask yeah. me, are my kid, are my grandkids adopted? Well, what are you? Yeah. Oh, I get asked that a lot, even when I'm not with my grandkids. But <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. But, but it is. It's like, and they'll say, like, my grandkids are adopted. That hurts me. And even my granddaughters have different experiences. There's not a difference with them. And my youngest grand or my oldest granddaughter grew up in different areas and when they first moved to Colorado it was so white like your eyes were hurt from the area where they was because it was just so and so my 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 granddaughter we took her to a charter school where it was more diverse and I remember the first time she told me she said um mama you're white and that had never yeah. been an issue and that was really hard because I we just never thought about it, but 
in that school, they had brought it out more. And, well, and, and I think that's part of part of the white culture is to deny the fact that that there is a racial identity for white people. I think so, but I think it because also because we've been so privileged that we don't have to acknowledge. <laughs> well, I think so, but I think in our family, you know, it's also different. And you had brought this up, one of you all, about really class differences, also. And so for us, we have lived internationally, and and not that we're perfect, but it, there were, we all our house was like a United Nations, and it wasn't until we got there that it was called out. And she said, "Mom, you're white," and so like there had never been a barrier there, and I don't think there is, you know. And my youngest granddaughter is totally different. She unconsciously kind of she told me. Um, once, you know, she likes so-and-so because his mom is brown. And that had never been, you know, an issue. So I think there are just these differences in region and or, you know, in urban, rural, and, and like you kind of said, you know, you have to learn, you have to start to be street savvy. Well, you know, I learned that too, just when I was all over the world. You better learn when to, you know, or you'll get hurt. But it's just more so. Well, the other thing, when you're talking about in, in Chicago, I remember the the weekend that Martin Luther King was assassinated. I was living in the south, on the south side of Chicago. And I lived in Hyde Park, which was oh, a very integrated, very, very mixed neighborhood, especially in the 60s. But it was like that neighborhood, the atmosphere in the neighborhood changed on a dime. And I had never felt uncomfortable walking around. I'd go walk down for coffee and that kind of stuff at night. And all of a sudden, I'm looking over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I, the, the phrase that I remember from that time is, nobody's going to ask me what I believe. They're just going to look at me and say, there's a white lady, you know, let's, let's get her, or you know, whatever. And the same thing, I mean, the reverse is true today for young black men. Nobody's going to ask them are they good students? No. You know, do they have a mom and a dad at home? You know, who's taking care of them? It's just going to be what they look like. And, and that's, you know, that was my very first experience with that, and I was 27 years old at the time. Oh, kids have to deal with this when they're 12. I guess what hurt me most in those videos was when the mom said, he's going to grow up to be a scary black man. You know, when you think of your eight or nine-year-old boy, or your four-year-old boy, and you, you see that as his future, yeah. that's just poignant to me. And that should be have to have. Well, and the thing about when you talk about white identity, it's been our experience that when people start talking about their white identity, um, that can be wearing I mean. Well, but I think you have to recognize the fact that that, well, that because you're white, you have certain privileges. Yes, which, and, 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 and that also leads me to another question. I'm jumping ahead to a, a later video, but it did talk about how we have to acknowledge and we have to. So here's my question: How do you be responsible, and how do you be accountable? And yet not guilty because guilt 
Kelton never saw anything. You know, it. So, let's marinate on that. Because we're going to talk about that. Because there's one more point, and because you brought up uh, the systemic structure of racism, uh, there was one more point that I wanted to bring up just because we're talking about the children and just the incredible pressure that you know, a 10 year old, 14 year old has to deal with, uh, especially as a teenager in the midst of going through everything that teenagers go through with their hormones. You know, just trying to figure it out. He he had on a little armband like this one here, and said that his teacher told him to take it off because it looked gay. Well, that don't sound like one's for high school. And I believe you because there was a situation that someone told me about where the student had on a necklace that had Africa on it, just like a an emblem of Africa, and they were told to remove it because it came off as aggressive. Wow. Oh, what? I don't know uh, whether well, Africa is aggressive. But, uh, so just those tiny, tiny things that uh, children, children have to think about because they, they understand the way that our country works, unfortunately. So just imagine that kind of pressure. Um, and there, just because you brought up about being responsible, that makes me think that, you know, for white parents, we, if you have children who do have friends of color, then you can be responsible by making sure that um, you're kind of monitor, monitoring the way that people are treating them, making sure that they're treating those friends just like they're treating your children. You know, so small things like that. One of the things I saw too that bothered me earlier on was that woman who was standing there talking about how her boss brought her into his office and said, you don't look professional. And I realized in that moment that we translate so much, uh, you know, professional, appropriate, mm -hmm. we translate that to white. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, I mean, because that's what we see, right? We, we're, we're so ingrained in the, in the white image that we see all over everything that it doesn't really sit in with you that you realize, well, I mean, what, what, how was she not being appropriate? Because her hair didn't look like mine. You know, how was she not being professional? Because she's not wearing the exact same jewelry that I'm wearing. She didn't do her makeup like mine. You know, and that's, that's something that you don't realize hits so deep because it, it, it covers everything, right? It covers, you know, what we see on TV shows. It covers what we see on runways. It covers what we see on, you know, in everything. That's and we amazing. don't realize that it's, that's amazing you say that because it brought something to to my remembrance that <clears throat> that um, when I was 19 years old, I cut my hair and went natural. I had a little afro. I love my little afro. I was little back then, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was before marriage and children. I was in those days. But I had a little curly afro and uh, and my my. Uh, ex-husband but at the time it's my boyfriend he was you're not gonna get a job like that i was like oh i'm gonna show you how this is done <laughs> i was determined and i was 19 years old and i went and applied for a position and i got i got the job with my little afro um as assistant store manager he's like what you got that job i, I worked at target i played up my experience you know I had a year of college, I, you know, but I remember that experience because 
he really is like, you, you have to straighten your hair. You have to look, you can still dress professionally, but you should be allowed to keep your identity. You know, I think there's professional attire, but then my hair is off limits. You don't get to dictate to this day, as you can see, how I wear my hair. And it, and it has nothing to do with how effective I am as a leader or as a worker or manager, but it has everything to do with what I bring to the table. And I made sure that that's what they saw when I went in the interview. And I think that's what, that's because I had strong women, like you said, culturally. I went to, I, I went, I attended culturally diverse schools in, in Chicago. I didn't live in a, um, a, an area where it was only black people. You know, only this or only that. I went to school with everybody. So all these range of people that spoke on the, in these videos, I went to school with them. I know about Guatemala. I know about Chileans. I know about. I mean, I, I went. I and their cultures were celebrated in my school. So working in the schools here in Owensboro has been a culture shock for me because what I'm experiencing is the lack of uh, acknowledgement. Oh, and, I just had to acknowledge our black ballerina. <laughs> Commercials, but they're 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 aired differently in the market. In the, in the market, and I didn't know that. I was in my twenties, but it, it could be like an Allstate commercial, as an example. And the, the the people in the commercial will be black, yeah, or the people in the commercial will be white. And it would air these different commercials, but it was only because I was traveling that with my ex husband. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm at your sister's house and watch. And in Atlanta, you see so many black people in commercials. And then you get experience You can control them. We'll look at you different than you are. That's part of the institutional part of it. Yes. I'd like to ask a question. I love Friday after five. And I've been concerned because I've not seen very many black people there, men or women or children. And I wonder how we can deal with it. Because, you know, I know you all, you all, that's bad terms. I you know, I've got age here. I, I'm not, I don't, if I can't understand the words, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is, and they talk too fast. They got to slow down if I'm going to listen. But let's be sure to point out that that's not the only kind of music black people listen to. <laughs> 
I mean, like hard metal, heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I get my daughter's car and she's got this. But that's what they like to listen to. So. And then are they run by the or when we both pay black card. It's not just during Black History Week. Because you're not black for just one month a year. But that, that black history, African American history, whatever you want to call it, it's American history. It's not just American history. It's not just people that you pick out along the way. And that's all you have. I didn't get my education until I went to the university. I'm afraid that's yeah. that's true. And, 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 and I got my complete black on when I got there. I was like, oh, oh but I, yeah. <laughs> I think your point is not, and I think it's great that we've worked in certain situations, but I think where we need to improve is in social situations. And yes. work, you're almost forced to be together. When do you choose? Well, that's why something like this is so good. Yeah, because we celebrate the differences. And we keep saying, you know, you're this color, I'm I'm a lot darker than she is. It shouldn't be about color. It should, it should be about your experiences and my experiences, and let's learn from each other instead of saying it's about color. Different. What I found interesting about all five videos were that 
the people of color all looked at the camera. They made eye contact. Mm -hmm. They spoke their emotion. And they spoke their experience. When it came to white people, they were uncomfortable, embarrassed. And I don't want to talk about it. Because if I talk about it, then people are going to think I'm racist. And I'm not racist, but you have to acknowledge that being white is a privilege. And like the one lady did say, you know, you have to acknowledge that you have benefits from being white, and then you have to work toward stopping the oppression. It's like it's this difficult balance. But the mere fact that the white people could not look at the camera, especially the very first lady with the long hair, she was very uncomfortable. She was like, what's the Acknowledgement can be very small if we're related to Friday after five. Like you said, the sentiment is not there. Because out of, what, 21 weeks of bands, one of them is fully black, it's always Jimmy Church. Like, <laughs> Like 
beyond the common man, you know, you just, you're very condescending and insulting, and what angered me, and that's the word I'm going to use, anger, is that he felt the need to pull, stop someone for walking down the street, and and he felt justified because they weren't in an area that he felt that they should be in, because, you know, you are the one who decides who could be somewhere and who cannot. And, and that's arrogant, and it's and it's the and idea that he said where they weren't supposed to be. Yeah, where they weren't yeah. supposed, supposed to be. Like, and he talked about where they were supposed to be. Well, he was talking about drugs or bad neighborhoods. They would have drugs or bad I could be where yeah. yeah. I want to be. That's my right as an American citizen. Unless it's a gated community and I didn't jump the fence. <laughs> I mean, but, but even, I even if I am in there, you don't know if I. Don't. I have a white friends. I have Hispanic friends. But I, I think that's know. the way police are trained to look for yes. something. That's the outreach place. No, I, I mean, that's the way they're trained to prevent crime. So what they've done is they've taken it beyond where it was supposed to be. Exactly. And the police, uh, police forces, you know, across the country are also another example that racism doesn't necessarily mean that the white person is always the offender, because the officer that killed Orlando Castillo was uh, Black American. Right. 
And but it's the idea of the police officers, like they also said in the video, covering for each other. So the department won't look bad or being afraid. It's all actually, cover for mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's also about power. Mm -hmm. And it's also about the the, the the depiction and the the idea of the black man. Mm -hmm. They are just they are just dangerous by design. That's what we're back to the media. And not just, I mean, what was that movie, Birth of a Nation? No. And they were able to talk about how, uh, not the, not the, the not new one, the old one, the 1930s one, yeah. Yeah. that one. Um, and, and I watched some clips from that video, from that, that movie, what was that, uh, from the last conversation? 13. I just watched it once. Oh, I watched 13. It's not about it for like two weeks. Oh, right. <laughs> and I'll tell you when I quit. And it's it's been indoctrinated in the mm -hmm. system, like I said, and it, and the depiction of black men to be barbaric and angry and out of control and, and dang, you know, just threatening has been it has been ingrained in our society and. It, and this is the result. This is the result. We, we, we're walking around thinking that we have overcome and that we've made it, but that thing is still there and is still prevalent. And it's not just a white cop shooting a black man. It's a black cop shooting a black man. It's just, the, it's, everyone has been programmed to think that this is a dangerous person. And that's because again, the media images, or even the language perpetuates that because uh, a black guy, you know, is considered a thug or a gang member, exactly. whereas the guy who shot at the congressman at their baseball practice was a little nothing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> mentally, <laughs> they're always mentally they're so they're mentally never ever considered a terrorist, you know, even the guy who did the post shooting, he was a Muslim guy. He was considered a domestic terrorist. Right. But Dylan Roof, who killed nine black people while they were in church, was also a lone gunman. You know, so this is a hungry long Trouble. Yeah. Trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not he was found at church camp. He was found at church Yeah. So things like <laughs> that. Yes. There are instances where the Department of Justice has investigated police forces. You know, we know that. Ferguson was an example of just a disproportionate amount of ticketing for black people in that city, particularly for black people. Um, in Chicago, it's been found that officers will take black, usually young men, to rival neighborhoods on purpose and leave them there thinking that they're going to get jumped because they're from another neighborhood. Or they'll roll their window down so that they can see them with the police because of that whole culture of
charged him with terroristic threats. This man, this is this man was like 78 or 79. He was sick and yes, on the phone, but that's not the end of it. They arrested him with the officers here on a federal warrant, but because it wasn't a local warrant, he was picked up and no one knew where he was. And he was they could hold him up to 48 hours. He had not eaten. He had not had his medicine. He was diabetic. He had heart problems. I mean, but these are laws within our country that, I mean, people can do this to you. This man was gone for 24 hours, 79 years old, without his medicine, without eating, and none of his family knew where it was. And that's local. Yes, yeah. that's local. That's just, I do. We definitely don't get those, um, the same conveniences or no. justice. <laughs> Start oh, okay. I know you want to get to solutions. Okay, yes. So let's go to uh, the white video, because I wanted to know if anybody in here thinks about their whiteness. I do now. We don't have to. We don't have to wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to traverse the streets or whatever, because of our whiteness. You know, our privilege. It's not something we have to think about. But we can still think about our whiteness and the fact that we recognize that on a basis. Like, how can I use what privilege I have in a positive way to benefit somebody who may not be able to get those benefits without the privilege of my skin? Does that make sense? Well, simply to call attention to, like, like Soraya would say, to, to, uh, to say that's offensive. That's, you know, do, do you realize what you just said? Yeah. Or do you realize how what you did? the way you interacted with that person, you know, yeah. to call people out on it and, yeah. and try to help people understand that it's, and that's not the way we want our society to be. I like the support that we had had with the Confederate flags flying out of the mall this yeah, weekend yeah. Oh, from oh, white folks. You know, people oh, that said that's not right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The whole time, two big, well, no, it's not. I mean, so that that responsibility also includes talking to your family members. Um, I think it's very common for people to say, "That's just granddad," and eighty-five. Right. You know. Well, I think it's important. And I think the easiest way to do that is like, I mean, part of the thing is that we all have implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And white people often, I mean, I didn't know that about myself. You know, growing up, I thought, well, no, I'm not. I don't hate black people, so I'm not racist. Like, that's what we have in our minds is this image of like, you have to be like outwardly hostile and like wearing Confederate flags and, you know, in the KKK and all this stuff to like actually be considered a racist. But what I didn't realize was little things about what I just happened to think when a black person would walk by, or, I, you know, I don't know. I can't think of like specific examples, but tiny little things. And like, what has been helpful, you know, I have a, I have a black daughter now, and this is why things like this you know, they matter to me now, and they didn't have to before. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to think about it before. But then, you know, when she came home, like I had to 
start thinking, okay, well, I don't know how to be a black woman because I'm a white woman, so how do I teach her how to be a black woman? I should probably talk to some black people about that. So, like, and like my family is, you know, it matters more to them, but they're not quite on the same trajectory, you know, like they're learning her is, it's taken them longer. Um, so what has helped make little, you know, dig away at little things or just make them think is just explaining to them my own change in thinking or behavior or, you know, just things that I've learned that I'm like, look, I get that you're older than me and you know more and blah, blah, blah. But you don't know this because you weren't taught to know this. And, you know, so being like, we have to be humble enough as white people to understand we're going to constantly find new things in ourselves that we're like, oh, I didn't know I thought that way or felt that way or behaved that way or, or that I was teaching my children this inadvertently or whatever. But it's, I think a lot of it from a white perspective, like our responsibility is to be humble enough to acknowledge our own junk. And I think that can help a lot with other people, I don't know, persuading them is the right way, but showing them. Yeah, 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 just not even necessarily always calling them, like calling them out for sure, but not making it they wrong. This is how wrong you are. The lockers will close in 30 minutes. Or I believe that way too, or I didn't know this was a problem until whatever. So. I think that's a big part of our responsibility, just humility, like acknowledging our own wrong thinking because it's there. Yeah. And that's what's hard. That's why the white people are looking away. It's just like, they're talking about it. They're going to realize that but in their they're more racist than they thought you they were. You say the wrong thing like, in the wrong circle. You are in big trouble. <laughs> so they just say, you know what? I don't want to say anything. I don't want to cause any problems. You know, and that's a safer route. They sometimes they just go back, you know, go back into their shell because if they say the wrong thing, they don't know if they're, they're offended. Like she said, you all, I, I, don't, I don't mean anything. You know, so it's like you can't, it's like, you can't really win either. Well, you so they kind of willing in to the be spot too. You have to be willing to be like, oh, we have to stop being a culture of taking yeah. videos of racist friends <laughs> and freaking step in and say, no. Yeah. Two things if I can give white people. <laughs> I'm being serious. We always want to be Thank <laughs> you. 
just when I was watching this video, I was just sitting here thinking, I just wrote it down, that we're all racist somehow. And what you just said is in our thoughts. We don't have to say it out. Like, and sometimes we, think, we don't even know. Like, exactly. It's a and subconscious it, thing that we're taught. And it just and half the time the people mm-hmm. who taught us didn't even know they were teaching it to us. Right. You know, now, like, you have to disagree with you about that. Only because we're talking about racism. Racism is prejudice plus the power. Plus right. power. So because African Americans and Latino Americans and they don't have the power. I don't, I don't, well, I don't want to exclude Asian Americans because that kind of goes on the grand scale. But on the, in the grand scale, we don't have the resources. We're right. not the CEOs. We're not, you know, we don't make up the largest part of Congress. So we don't make the decisions. So we don't have the power to say, you know, I don't like this blonde lady, so I'm going to keep her from working here, or I'm going to keep them from buying a house here. We don't have that kind of power. So we can't be racist in the sense of. Um, we don't have that power. You know, discrimination. Well, yeah, maybe I was thinking more total oppression. oppression. But we do all have bias. Right, yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mainly, I'm just thinking of our thoughts. It, yes. it can be in our thoughts. We just don't have to say it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.